He's your curly head mate who's ready to go Nobody knows snow like reggae no snow He's ready to blow like an atomic reactor This is the show where we call it Chill Factor Talk on the pow, are you ready right now? There's icons galore and they're ready to chow We got more power than a snowflower tractor Dropping the clutch, yeah this is Chill Factor G'day, I'm Reggae Ellison. Welcome to the Chill Factor podcast presented by Swiss Tourism. My guest for this episode is Brittany Cox, a four-time Olympian and one of the greats of Australian mogul skiing who has just announced her retirement from competition after a long and successful career. Brittany grew up in Falls Creek enjoying an ideal childhood and started competing in mogul competitions when she was eight years old. Her first Olympics were the Vancouver Games in 2010 when at 15 she was the youngest competitor at those games. From there she progressed to the World Cup and her breakout season was in 2016-17 when she dominated, winning seven events and was crowned the overall World Cup winner and was Australia's first female mogul world champ. It's been an incredible career, but at 27 years old, Brit has decided it's time to move on to the next stage of her life and is excited about her new direction and her future plans. Let's drop in. Well, Britt, great to have you here on Chill Factor. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much, Reggae. It's um, a pleasure to be chatting with you. I've been following Chill Factor magazine since I was a little grom, little kid, so nice to be here and joining you on the podcast. Well, yeah, well, I think we'll have to get you more involved. You are, have, you are doing a communications degree, so maybe we can uh, get some action happening from you uh, in next year's mag. Yeah, well, I hope so. You know, my two will be... A nice uh, way for my two passions to collide. So I've been studying throughout the last um, portion of my career, the last sort of six years, and um, studying a Bachelor of Communication majoring in PR and journalism, and okay. that's through the Fitz University up in Queensland. So I've been studying completely online, but um, particularly interested in sports journalism and um, telling the human story behind the athlete. And... Um, I just, I, I realized that there were opportunities that I wanted to chase in that space. And for the, I think for the first time ever, um, I probably felt um, as equally passionate, if not more passionate about something other than mobile skiing. And I'd never ever felt that before. And to me, that was, I guess, a little bit of a, um, an alarm bell to, to go, all right, there's something here that I really need to listen to. And that's, you know, since I was a little girl, my dad um, always would say to me, you know, stay true to yourself. And, um, you know, I actually thought of that a few weeks ago and, and realised that, yeah, um, this feel, I, want, I want to explore these passions and, and go for it. And that doesn't necessarily mean I won't, I won't be skiing, I'm still going to ski, but, um, yeah, just redirecting where my, my energy and my focus is and, and hopefully through that can still stay connected to the sport, which I love so much, and the athletes in the community and hopefully help tell their stories through some form of digital communication. Yeah, well, that sounds good. I'm sure we'll have to talk to you about doing some work for Chill Factor. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, I've got an idea, actually, I'll talk to you about afterwards. But, um, like, you know... you've you my resume. Yeah, your career, you know, like... It, the longevity of it, as you said, you started skiing or first mogul comp when you're eight years old, so yeah, 19 years ago, and then four Olympics um, to maintain that that level, you know, that elite level of um, competition and uh, athleticism requires a lot of work. So, 
suppose, did you think, okay, maybe I'm, you know, after 15 years, I'm 12, you know, I need to take a bit of a rest? Um, oh, I think it's really easy to work hard at something that you're passionate about. And that, I, I think that's what it was for me is, you know, it was a job, but it never really felt like a job for me. It was such a, like a passion and, um, Yes, it required a lot of hard work, but I think that's something I understood from a really young age is that, you know, if you if you want to excel at something, if you want to get better, it requires hard work and effort and pushing yourself. And um, I'm lucky that I had a fantastic team around me that allowed me to, to do that and supported me in that pursuit. Like, first of all, when I was really young, my parents, they always encouraged me to chase my dreams and they also made it clear, you know, you've got to get your schoolwork done before you're allowed to go out training. Um, so I guess I learned how to manage that at a young age. And then just being surrounded by a team who are also in that same headspace of, you know, wanting to get the best out of themselves. And um, I had uh, my coach, Steve Desovich and Jerry Grossi for over a decade in the sort of um, earlier part of my career. Yeah. And they, I think they, they would show up to training every single day with absolute commitment and passion um and purpose towards the goal that we were trying to achieve and you know for me it was it was really good because you know I would show up with that same commitment and passion it was nice to see that reflected in my coaches um so I think that worked for a really really long period of time um and I really appreciate that and then I guess as I uh, matured and got older, I started to learn how to balance different areas of my life as well and figure that out, which is just a learning process. Um, after the Pyeongchang Games, I did take a little bit of a break um, from skiing and did my yoga teacher training, which yeah. was also, I guess, a little, uh, a little bit of a breather and just gave me some more skills and um, yeah, skills that I could apply to competitions, mental health. Um, mental skills and my headspace um, and that's something I've carried with me for the last probably um, five years of my career. Have uh, you been um, yeah. like using yoga for training and just just your complete well-being like leading in Pyeongchang or for a few years? Yeah, yeah, def definitely. So uh, I, I've been practicing yoga probably since about 2012 but more more diligently since 2015 um when i moved to melbourne i found this yoga studio called here yoga and it was really close to where i lived and i would just go there every day because i just loved the environment it was familiar i loved the community and i think i start i started it because um i was thinking oh yeah this feels really good um, my body feels mobile and flexible um but i really really quickly learned that there was a lot more to it than just the physical asana component it was a lot of Breath, breath work, um, relaxation, meditation, um, and just learning how to, I guess, um, manage thoughts and um, observe them rather than react to them. And I started to implement that into my training. So right. um, not reacting to thoughts that come up and things like that, using breath work in the start gate to get myself into a good mental headspace. Um, and I found that really valuable. And then, as I said before, my um, one of the doctors told me that my spine had the wear and tear of a 40-year-old. So I then um, went to, I think, out a bit of support from a yoga teacher that Lydia Lassler had been seeing for her back. And um, he, I think, really helped me iron out a few <laughs> a few yeah. kinks that helped with the longevity of my career. Yeah. Was that, um, yeah, the back industry, was that just wear and tear? Like, you know, yeah, just general wear and tear. Like, it's 
very common for mogul skiers to have some um, issues with their back at some point throughout their career. And we have this thing called mogul back, and that's where when you haven't skied bumps in a while and you get back in the bumps the first three days, are a bit like hell when you wake up in the morning. The, your erector spine and muscles um, just get inflamed and lock on, and it's like your, your back looks like a half pipe basically it really hurts to bend over and put your socks on so there's always a lot of like moaning and groaning in the morning from our team when we wake up the first three days of a training camp but then after that you're fine so um you just got to get through that part well you said um you know you've retired from competitive moguls obviously you're going to keep skiing you're going to avoid mogul fields now (laughs) no way i love mogul skiing that's i'm going straight i'm going straight to the free bumps yeah, yeah, right. Well, I suppose, you know, you grew up in Falls Creek, um, you know, long history of mogul skiers. I remember Team Red, you know, like Adrian Costa, yep. all those kind of people. Yep. You know, um, what was it like growing up in Falls? You know, I know your dad was riding. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah dad dad was an absolute frother on Team Red and that's, that's kind of how my dad actually got introduced to the sport of mogul skiing was through Team Red and obviously Adrian Costa was a big role model of mine and I remember when he was a kid learning that he'd been to four Olympic Games and I was like, whoa, that is so cool. And he's from Mount Beauty and Falls Creek. Um, and Adrian actually coached me for a little bit when, in a club program when I was about 10 years old. Um, and, yeah, there is, there's quite a, a legacy of freestyle skiing there at Falls Creek. Oh, skiing in general, you know, you've got Steve Lee as well and then um, some fantastic cross-country skiers. So I guess there's a, a proud history there at Falls Creek of um, winter sports and um yeah really lucky that i was able to become a part of that yeah and did you like you grew literally grew up in falls right you lived there in winter and went to that yeah uh, yeah so school. i went to the falls creek primary school and um dad would drive my brother and i to school on the snowmobile and then he'd come and pick us up in the afternoon we'd race home get the skis on and then go straight out to get a couple of runs in before the lift closed <laughs> in the afternoon um, so yeah, very, very lucky to have grown up in that environment, both because I was able to ski so much from a really young age and also because there's just such a good community up there. And, um, I've had some really nice response from the Falls Creek and Mount Beauty communities, um, in the past week for my retirement. Um, and it's just always been nice for me to know that everyone back home's been in my corner throughout my career and supporting me. Um, it just, I guess it's been comforting to have that when I've had long, long periods away from home, months on tour and, and on the road training and competing overseas. So, um, yeah, really grateful for, for the support of the Falls Creek community. Oh, without a doubt, you know, a small, you know, core community community like that, you know, like, you know, they can honestly call you our Brit, you know. So, you know, Australians <laughs> love calling some, you know, when successive athletes, successful athletes, we just embrace them. Um, yeah. yeah, and um, when uh, you haven't skied yet this winter, obviously you've been, Traveling a fair bit, looking at your yes. Instagram. Um, I have. You, I've almost had. Uh, sorry, what were you saying? I was going. When are you going to head up to Falls for a couple of turns? Well, I've yeah, I've kind of had a bit of starting around, experiencing European summer for my first time yeah. ever. It was amazing. Not not lugging a ski bag around the airport. Um, <laughs> I went over for the International Olympic Academy's Youth Ambassador Olympic Ambassador Program, which was fantastic and a really nice, I think, summation of my Olympic experience. Um, but yeah, came home and doing a little bit of um, freelance work for the Commonwealth Games through the Australian team for the Commonwealth Games, and then after that, I am straight up to mountains. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, the snow hangs around. 
Yeah, well, tell us about the that Olympic Ambassadors Program. You were one of uh, two Australian athletes there. Um, so how was that and what was it all about? Oh, it's absolutely incredible. So I actually had COVID for maybe eight weeks ago now. And yeah. as I was sitting at home in isolation during COVID, I finally went through a bunch of my emails and one of them was from the Australian Olympic Committee and they were talking about this IOA ambassador program and that they were looking for two Australian Olympians to take part in it over in Greece. And um, this was when I was really kind of mulling over that, the retirement thing. And I thought this could be a really nice opportunity to kind of, I guess, look at the Olympics from a broader perspective rather than just from the athlete's perspective. And all I knew about it going in um, so, uh, sorry, when I had COVID, I applied. I was just like, oh, this looks good. This is fun trip to Greece. Applied yeah. and, um, yeah, all of a sudden uh, I was accepted. Um, and basically they just told me it was about, you know, it was an educational program about Olympism, the history of the Olympics, the values of Olympism and where the Olympic movement is headed in the future. So definitely talking a lot about digital communication and how that can be used to promote the Olympic values. Um, and digital communication is obviously another passion of mine through my studies. So I thought, perfect. It's like yeah. my two worlds colliding. Um, so I got over there and uh, we started in Athens. We had two nights uh, going to the archaeological sites of the Acropolis and yeah. uh, the Acropolis Museum. And there are actually 130 other participants, so two from each country that participate in the Olympics. Um, and then we got buses out to ancient Olympia, which is where the academy is, and spent 10 days there attending lectures and doing organised sport together. Um, we also had working groups, so we'd be broken up into groups of 10 and every person was from a different country, um, which was challenging in itself because you're doing you're doing assignments and studying with people who are all from very different backgrounds, uh, different levels of, levels of education, and different languages. I think I was the only person in my group with English as the first language, um, but it was absolutely amazing to see how quickly everyone learnt to work together to cooperate. And I I built some really fantastic friendships um, in such a short space of time. And to me, that was like a real that was a really nice. Um, example of what the olympic movement is it's, it's about bringing the world together for peace and um working i guess together to achieve excellence and um that's something that i want to continue to use in my life moving forward um post-career as a skier and um hopefully teach some some kids to do that along the way because i think so much of that is important for society not just for for being an athlete and, and a skier and in the sporting community yeah, no, definitely. I suppose in your position, you've got, um, well, not unique, but you're a great foundation to mentor younger up-and-coming athletes. And, I, so, yeah, you mentioned that in your retirement post. Is That's one of the things you want to do, especially going back, you know, so young because a lot of, you know, you were 15 when you went to those uh, Vancouver Games. There's a lot of pressure on um, young athletes, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds to perform. It's almost like, well, if you don't make it by the time you're 18, you, you're done, you know. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of pressure there, but there's also a lot of support and a lot of opportunity. I think um, when I look at how fast my sport has grown in the last, you know, in the last 10 years, it's coming leaps and bounds. And I see the, the young girls on the Aussie mobile team now and 
the the support that they have around them with the facilities. So uh, the new water ramp up in Brisbane, for example, yeah. they're going to be able to stay at home in Australia for much many more months of the year than I had to do when I was younger. Um, yeah. They've got fantastic strength and conditioning coaches, um, support with nutrition, all of that kind of thing, mental skills, um, fantastic coaching network. Um, and this isn't just mobile skiing, this is across the board. Yeah. So I definitely think, yeah, there's pressure, but there's also opportunity. So it's just about the people that are willing to to take those opportunities and run with them. Yeah, well, they've got the um, you know, the new airbag facility in Jindabyne now for the park and pipe uh, ski and snowboard crew. So yeah, I think, you know, that's funding that is coming through. And, like, a lot of the funding comes to sports. Also, All sports comes from results, you know, like um, the Institute of Sport, the Australian Government of uh, both persuasions and um, the Australian Olympic Committee, the funding, you know, good results from individual athletes that channels into mm. uh, good funding for grassroots. So, you know, your results over the last 15 years, you know, it's pretty amazing. You know, you've been world champion, World Cup champion, numerous World Cup wins. That's the sort of results they're looking for. They go, okay, Brittany's done it. We want to help other people. So in many ways, your results have channeled that funding due to, you know, down to the kids competing in inner schools this year. Thank you. Thank you. That That's actually really lovely to hear. And I, I think for me, after Pyeongchang, I was absolutely heartbroken. I, I wanted that Olympic gold medal more than I wanted to breathe. Um, and it took a lot of soul searching and time to, um, I guess, accept the fact that it slipped through my fingertips. Um, but actually now look back at my whole career and, and I think about why I wanted to achieve that in the first place. And it was always driven by wanting to inspire others and be a positive role model. And help, like especially young women, um, feel like they can chase their dreams and go after it, and and work and work and learn to work hard. And um, now, like even especially in this last week, seeing the response to my retirement, I've I've had you know kids send me messages saying I do mobile skiing because of you, and parents of of those kids as well. I'm like I'm so thankful that um, you inspired my kid to take up the sport or to you know just chase after what they want to do and to me that that was I guess it showed me that I didn't actually need the Olympic gold medals to have the impact that I wanted to have um and to do so that has been really lovely um and yeah I feel quite fulfilled and happy about that and I mean even to see Jack win the gold medal in Beijing and have her tell me that you know I was one that inspired her to, to chase her dreams as well was also very meaningful and Jack's a really close friend of mine and um yeah I I'm also I see her as someone that I hope all the younger girls look up to as well because she's a fantastic role model too so I think the you know our sport's come a long way in Australia in the last 10 years and it's it's in a really really good place right now and um I'm really proud and happy to have been a part of shaping that well, you, you definitely have. I mean, I was going to get to the um, Pyeongchang Olympics because obviously 2016, 17, that was your breakout year, you know. you um, I think you what seven wins in the World Cup. You know, you mm-hmm. won the um, World Cup globe, uh, Crystal Globe, and, of course, then you were world champion. So going in Pyeongchang, you were inevitably, you were going to be the fa- one of the favourites, if not the favourite. Um, and, you know, like we all know what the build-up is, in Australia for both summer and winter Olympic Games. Australians 
well, every country loves a, a, a medal win. And obviously, you know, the media go, okay, who are we going to hang our hat on? And obviously your head was there waiting for that hat. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And that's exactly where I wanted to be. That's the, the position I wanted to be in. I wanted to be the best in the world. Um, when when I watched Alicia Campbell win gold in Salt Lake City in 2002, I was like, yeah, I want to be the best in the world at something. I didn't know what sport at that particular point in time, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I'd, I reached that point. I was the best yeah. in the world at something at some point in time. So obviously I had some huge expectations. Australia had big expectations on me, but I don't think any of those are as big as the one that I put on myself. Yeah. Um, I mean, ha- having said that, I, I, I trained my butt off going into that year. Um, I trained super, super hard, maybe not super smart, but that's, you know, a learning curve. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it's sport. Like sometimes you make mistakes. I'm human and I made a mistake. And, you know, there's so, like, the amount of times I've thought it over in my head of what I could have done differently and what yeah. I should have done differently. But the reality is I can't go back in time. I can only learn and move forward. Um, so I definitely came away from those games and I just had to reevaluate come back to my purpose and my why why was I doing this and skiing and that's you know I wanted to inspire others and um show them me you know working my butt off to be the best skier I could possibly be and I I continued to to work at that the last four years leading into Beijing um so yeah it was a a bit of a journey there yeah well totally I mean I think with the Olympics you know like it is places to be all at end all but it's it's another event you know like in a this year you had your World Cup and you know your normal World Cup season, then it goes to the Olympics and it's just a super high pressure event every four years. I mean anything you know you know every athlete knows like anything can happen in any event. You know, you can just blow it, you know, Absolutely. make a little mistake. But you can't sort of I mean one one of my friends one of my friends locked himself in the porta potty at the bottom of the run one day and missed his event. So anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? I missed my start. Someone walked <laughs> in the toilet. That, yeah. That's well, something that just couldn't have been avoided. Yeah. Well, you're talking about um, you're obviously dealing with that, you know, disappointment of not winning that, you know, Pyong, medal at Pyeongchang. Uh, you know, you finished fifth there, but then you're aiming up for, you know, uh, Beijing Olympics. But the next season, 2019, you had a pretty, you know, started off with a third in Ruka. And then next event in China, you smashed yourself. I've seen that video. Yes. <laughs> Have you? I've only ever watched it once. I don't want to see it again. No, I bet you do. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so head injury or a concussion, broken collarbone and, what, two or three or how many mm. broken ribs? Six. Oh, six. I thought it was only two or three. <laughs> yeah, so that's right. I had a good start to that season. I was feeling really Happy with where I kicked off in Finland and then we went to China for World Cup number two and it was during the competition run. I was dueling Hinako Tommy Tucker from Japan and I hit the first jump and I landed, I guess, a little bit forward compared to where I was earlier in the day. It was very icy. There were some chunks, which we call death cookies. I was landing a bit too far forward, kind of got caught in those chunks and went over the front landed sort of I actually don't remember any of it so this is all going by what I was told and the one time I watched it went over the front slammed into the the ground and then I slid head first down the moguls for about 70 meters hitting every mogul 
on the way down until eventually I came to a stop. Yeah. Um, so in that space of time somewhere, I knocked myself out, broke my right clavicle and six ribs. Yeah. Um, so I, I had spent a little bit of time in the Chinese hospital and wasn't able to fly home for a few days. But luckily my, my coach at the time, Kate Blamey, stayed with me um, and we navigated the language barriers, wow. and, um, cultural differences. <laughs> and waited. I had to get an X-ray to make sure I didn't have like pneumothorax um, before I could fly home, and then flew home immediately. Had surgery, so um, yeah. bit of a journey and um, a bit scary. But I don't remember it, which I think is probably a good thing. Yeah, I know you don't remember it, but you know how heavy the injury, you know, the whole thing was. What's it like? I mean, you're out for the season, obviously after that, but psychologically coming back from a major injury, you know, or major crash like that, like you know, moguls are. It's a dangerous sport, like mogul fields, the, the jumps are huge. How do you deal with that, um, what I imagine would be some sort of hesitation and fear factor? Yeah, um, I actually, so the timing of it was, was a bit strange because I had my surgery, had a plate put in my collarbone, um, a, a hook plate, and that three months later that plate had to be removed. So second surgery. Um, Right after that second surgery was when COVID had hit. So we just went into the first lockdown. Um, and so the plate was out. Once the wound healed, I was almost ready to, I was pretty much ready to start water amping and skiing again. So I was itching to get going because throughout my rehab, I'd been in the gym getting strong and um, I was still able to do a lot of physical prep while my plate was in. Um, yeah. So it was like plates out, ready to go, lockdown. <laughs> So I went into lockdown and then I could just focus on really making sure my rehab was perfect and my body was ready to go. So by the time I did get back on snow, I was confident that my body was, was working well. And, um, and then in terms of the psychological side of it, I think for me, I did, part of it not remembering was helpful, but also just experience as an athlete. Like I've had little niggles and small injuries along the way and I think it's just really important that you you just stick to your process you ask yourself every day what am I doing out there what am I working on rather than thinking about the outcome um thinking about the what if what could happen rather than thinking what what am I doing um right just be like be where my feet are be where my skis are um and just just every time I notice my mind go to one of those worry thoughts I just bring it back like bring it back to what am I doing what what am I doing right now and and um, focusing on the process, so then there's no room left to to ruminate on the worries. Yeah, with, with um, you were in Melbourne during that lockdown, right? Yes, yes, I was. Yeah. So you didn't get up to uh, Falls or Buller at all that whole winter. No. Um. So that, no. So that first, that very first lockdown, which a lot of Melbourneians now don't really call lockdown because it was that kind of, I guess, soft lockdown. The first one, I, yeah. I set up a um, a home gym in the back courtyard and trained there and then as soon as that was done we actually started water amping out in Lilydale so it was yeah. bloody freezing wow. got a 4-3 wetsuit from um from Rip Curl like one of the heat seeker ones oh yeah massive yeah. like gloves and we were ramping out there until I think the 6th of July wow. um and the day yeah so the last day I was well we were out there continuing to jump and I remember I think it, I think it was the 6th of July I know it was into July because it was so cold um I was water amping and I was swimming back in if anyone knows the Lilydale pond it's just this muddy pond out in someone's backyard where we have our water amp 
I'm swimming back in and my coach said, oh, Britt, can you swim a little faster? And I was like, okay, and I get in, get out of the water. And she's like, we've got to go. We've got to get to Jindabyne because they're, they're going to close the border tonight. So right. jumped, like, drove back home, threw all my stuff in the car and then drove up to Jindabyne. So I didn't know at the time how long we were going to be away for. Um, yeah. Ended up being four months before we could get back home. But we made it across the water, so we were able to train in Perisher, which was fantastic and enabled us to ski. So a bit of an adventure, but um, we got a bit of time on snow, which was very lucky. Yeah, well, that was lucky. I mean, um, yeah, God, who knows how long we those things are going to come back again, you know. But anyway, we forget about that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and going into um, Beijing, you know, like that, well, how would you feel? going into the last Olympics, the last World Cup season? Yeah. Um, so going back to the 2020-2021 season, yeah. felt like I was oh, just a little, un, like, not quite where I wanted to be. I was just, things weren't clicking, weren't piecing together. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit off that season um, and it was quite frustrating, but I used that, like, luckily that wasn't the Olympic season and I used that as information, came home, yeah. did uh, my two week two weeks hotel quarantine, so I had lots of time to think about it. <laughs> and then um went into the Olympic year with, you know, fresh training plan. Um got really, really strong, really fit. Water ants a lot. I water yeah. took advantage of the water ant we have up in Brisbane now. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, water ants a lot. Took it on snow. And we, we actually spent a lot more time on snow um, up in Jindabyne and Perisher than we normally would because we weren't able to go over to um, Switzerland to do our like pre, pre-season training camp on the glacier None yeah, because right. Australia was locked uh, to the rest of the world. So trained really late on snow in Australia and then we, we headed over to, to the season and I, you know, just started feeling like I was seeing the way I wanted to, more like myself, more like myself skiing, like Brit and, um, you know, just every day reminding myself why I was there and, and what my purpose was and um, yeah, just really enjoying it. By the time it came to, I guess, oh, it would have been Alpe d'Huez, yeah, Alpe d'Huez in France, um, that's where I, I felt like I had my best skiing of the season and um, I was super, super close to the podium there in, in uh, fourth. Um, yeah. But yeah, my my favourite skiing of the season, and and really happy with getting to that point. Yeah, well, um, you were going into Beijing like feeling good, but you weren't you weren't thinking about okay, well, you're four time Olympian. Well, you're going into thinking okay, I might do five. You 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 hadn't contemplated any sort of yeah, yeah, kind of going in thinking I might might do five, probably not, but I might. And yep. I was thinking, yeah, most likely do another year of skiing, do another world champ. That was kind of the rough. That idea I had in my head, but I'd also told myself I'm not making any decisions until after the games. I'll think about it then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 2010, you know, can you remember like 15 years old? Like, that is, you know, you, you were the youngest competitor in that Olympic Games, like not just the, I mean, you yeah. and Scotty, Scotty James, you're a little bit uh, younger than him. You know, we had two 15 yeah. year olds. Can you remember what you felt like going into those games? Oh, like, yeah. Vancouver? It was- crazy like I, I think I only qualified maybe three weeks before or something um and I had no idea I was going going to be there and all of a sudden I'm there competing against my absolute idols in the sport and for me I think because it happened so fast 
there wasn't really much time for me to think about the magnitude of it and get nervous or worried. It was just, just like, oh, I get to go skiing again. I get to compete. Um, and then being there and seeing what it actually took to be at that top level, um, yeah. seeing Hannah Kearney win gold was really inspiring. And I was able to use that to come back home. And that was like fuel to the fire for my passion for becoming the best mobile care I could possibly be. Um, so it set me up really well for the next, the next Olympic cycle and, um, and moving forward. But I, even the last week, I've had a lot of time to reflect on my experiences. And, you know, I had, I had a message from um, a few different teammates like uh, Katya Kremer from Ski Cross, yeah. Liz Gardner from Aerial, um, talking about, you know, the good old days when I was the, the baby on the team in Vancouver. And, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing to just think back to how young I was then. I, I remember... Because obviously I was underage and I was actually doing schoolwork in the the athlete lounge in, in the um in the Olympic Village and people and then I, I was so Ramon Cooper was the male mogul skier with Albert Smith on the on the Aussie team. Ramon kind of took me under his wing wing a bit and I'd um I just wanted to go out well go and watch events every day because moguls was done day one and two and then after that I was able to go and watch all the other events and sports yeah. and. Ramon would come with me and one day he's like yeah okay we'll go up to Whistle watch the Alpine tomorrow we'll watch Jono Brower Craig Branch and I'm like okay well I'll meet you we'll go at nine o'clock we'll catch the bus and nine o'clock comes in the morning I knock on Ramon's door and he comes to the door he's just like he's probably only had about two hours sleep (laughs) (laughs) I'm like all right let's go I'm ready to go I got my backpack on and he's like just give me 20 minutes (laughs) and it was just yeah, I was just this young keen kid. Um, yeah. He was obviously more into the party scene, which was yeah, understandable as most most uh, I guess twenty one year olds are. Um, but he, you know, he was awesome, and he made it back to the bus, and we went and watched a lot of events. But yeah, just funny to reflect on those times and and think about how young I was back then. Yeah, no, that would have been awesome. I mean, yeah, and um, you know, like it's a. Like I said, an illustrious career, you know, like 2014, you know, you, you won Australia's first World Cup medal uh, in women's moguls. And, you know, but that team is some long, you're one of a number of long-standing members of the Australian mogul team, you know, like as you talk about Takara, she was younger, Matt Graham, um, then, you know, new guys this year with Cooper Woods. Um, how, how close is that team? Oh, our, our team is super, super close. So, um, yeah, you're going back. My my first World Cup medal was 2012, yeah. and from then, you know, Matt's been skiing with me from well before then. Um, we both, I think, we both got onto the he got onto the development team one year before me, um, but then after that, we've been on the team together forever. So, um, yeah, Matt and I, he's like my brother, and our, our team just in general are very very close. We spend, you know, we would spend about nine months of the year away from home but all together um so they definitely became like my family um yeah. matt matt and Broads in particular when we were all being coached by steve desovich and jerry grossi um we spent a lot of time together on training camp so matt and Broads are like my my brothers um and and that i think the bonds within our mobile team is something that's super special and i don't think it can be explained or, or created it's just a really um, deep friendship based on shared values and and shared experiences, but also shared um, adversity. Like we yeah. we've all kind of been there through everyone's ups and downs throughout their career, 
And I, particularly through the last two years of COVID, where we've had long stints of time where we haven't been able to see our families, uh, we had we're travelling under really strict protocols with bubbles and things like that. We weren't been able to interact with um, the other teams, the international yeah. teams who are also our friends. So it was quite isolated. And I think particularly during the 2020-2021 season, we each of it, we were away for a long time. We're staying in up in Finland, in northern northern Finland, in Ruka, basing ourselves there for most of the winter, where it's dark about 22 hours out of the day because it's so far north. Um, freezing, freezing cold, like you get minus 30 for you know every day for a week. And everyone had their moments throughout the season where they just they cracked or they broke down. And so everyone needed, you know, but it was all at different points in time. So everyone else on the team could then rally and, and support them. And, um, you know, it was just nice to know you had someone there to give you a hug and, and cheer you up. Um, yeah. But, yeah, my, and even now um, a bunch of us older ones on the team are retiring and um, we chat on the phone all the time because, like, how do we do this real life thing, you know, and just yeah. um, support each other where we can. So I think that friendship will, will last uh, forever. And we also, we're passionate about passing that on to the younger ones on the team because we think it's, it's a really healthy thing to have when you're away competing in, in high pressure environments for such a long part of the year. Um, but it also, you know, we think that happy athletes are well-performing athletes. So we'd love to see that continue um, within the Australian mogul team. That's right. Now, like, yeah, normally this time of year, You'd be you know, heading up to Jindabyne, you know, training at Topper's Dream. You know, then you'd be thinking about heading up to Queensland to the Jeff Henke. Uh, that's what it's called, isn't it? The, um, yeah, yeah, Jeff Henke Olympic Training Centre. Which is uh, probably much more pleasant than Lilydale. Um, <laughs> yeah, but when do you think you're going to start missing um, you know, the realisation, well, I am fully retired? I mean, I know you know, oh. that now, but when will it really hit you, you reckon? Yeah, yesterday? No. <laughs> um, no, actually, I feel um, I feel really good about it. Um, I I know I will miss it. Like, I was always going to miss it. I think that was part of the um, process of coming to the decision was I, I thought, well, you know what, it's not going to be any easier if I retire in a year's time or in four years' time because I absolutely love mogul skiing. I love competing. And I don't think that will, that feeling will ever go away because I, I just love it. And um, yeah, I guess I, I knew I was like, it's going to be tough to to let go of something that I love, you know, whether that be now or four years time. And yeah, um, yeah, I just like I think moving through that process is going to be ups and downs. And I've spoken to a lot of different um, elite athletes who have been through that, and I've had some advice from them. But I think you know, for me, I'm also yeah, I, I'm. I'm aware of that, but I'm also really excited about other things in my life. And I've got um, a few different things that I'm working on and that's yeah. giving me purpose and drive. And I'm excited to challenge myself in new ways. I like to learn and, um, and see what, see what I can do in the future. And I'm also still, still feel like I'm connected to that same purpose that I was when I was the mogul scare of, you know, helping inspire others. And hopefully I can do that through um, some kind of, sports journalism or media or working in, you know, yeah. the sporting the sporting world in some way and, and hopefully that's uh that's winter sports. And have you finished your degree, the communications degree? Um almost almost finished. So I've got five subjects to go. So home stretch now. Home stretch. Yeah. So you'll finish that this year. And okay, and yeah. besides study, what are you what are you okay, what are you gonna be doing next week? Um 
a lot of cycling. So I've spent the last couple of weeks doing a bit of traveling. So the program, um, the IOA program in Greece and then tax on visiting a couple of friends afterwards in Europe. So one of them was actually one of my former competitors, Andy Naughty, who was on the Canadian women's mogul team. And she retired after Pyeongchang. So she's actually studying to become a vet in London, the Royal Veterinary College of London. So caught up with her and it was really nice to debrief on her experience of retiring and transitioning out of the sport and um and just connecting with her after um, yeah. a couple of years so it's it's nice i feel like i've got friends all around the world that hopefully someday i will be able to you know catch up with but for now moving forward studying um definitely a lot of cycling i'm about to go for a ride after this i love cycling it's one of my my other passions that i started to do during lockdown in melbourne yeah. and Hopefully a bit of surfing. Um, I did go on a, a surf trip with my coach Kate, uh, kind of like a, I guess a farewell thank you with her um, because she has worked super super hard um, to support me over the the last four to five years, and yeah. um, um, I just wanted to to spend some time to thank her and and just have some fun. But she's also going to be, I think, a lifelong friend. That's actually who I'm about to go cycling with. So oh, okay, we'll take. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, Kate Blaney, she's been how long has she been coaching with the moguls? Uh, so, oh. so Kate Kate coached the Australian Mogul Skiing Academy for, you know, I don't know how long, probably six or so years. And before that, Team Buller Riders. Prior to that, she was an athlete herself, a mogul skiing yeah. athlete. And actually her towards the tail end of her career as a mogul skier um was right about when I qualified for Vancouver and we had a week in Park City right before Vancouver as like a little pre-training, pre-Olympic training camp. And my coach at the time, Peter Tavailovic, um, knew that Kate Blamey was in town and, and asked her to hang out with me because I was just this young young yeah. girl on her own, kind of not really knowing what to expect. So he just asked her to spend some time with me. And I remember her actually, we went to the movies one night and then she was like to me, all right, you're you okay to walk home? And I was like, oh, it's dark and I don't really know the way. And her bus <laughs> was just about to leave. She's like, but I want to catch my bus. And I was like, it's too dark. I'm too scared. So I made her, she, she walked me home and, um, and then probably had to wait about another hour for the next bus, bus. to come around so she could get home. And uh, now, this, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years and she's my coach and she, she keeps reminding me of that. It's so funny. And, um, I always tell her, no, I'm like, I'm not afraid of the dark anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Um, but yeah, she 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 then went over to coach Steamboat Springs uh, Winter Sports Club, where she you know, just flourished into an epic coach, putting a bunch of women on the US ski team. And then in 20, 2018, she came back over to Australia as um, assistant coach for the New South Wales Institute of Sport. Uh, and I started training with her in 2019. Okay, so Steve, was was Maz Maria Despar still around when you started, or she would have just been? She she wasn't, but I I have met Maz, and uh, yeah, so she, she my coach uh, Steve Jesovic would have coached Maz back, back in the yeah. day too. So Maz Maz was the first woman Australian woman to win a world championship medal for yeah for Australia. I think she won silver. Yeah, she got silver at the world champs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about Maz? <laughs> yes, Maz, Jane Sexton. Jane Sexton yeah. actually went to my high school as well. Oh, okay. Where did yeah. you go to school at? High school? Aubrey? 
I, I went to, yeah, the Scott School Aubrey from year 7 to 10 and then I did business education after that. All right, of course, yeah. And um, what would you say to 15-year-old Brittany Cox now? Oh, 15-year-old Brit. I think, oh, I mean, I could say a lot of things, but I think that all of the things that I know now are things that I just had to learn. I had to learn myself through experience. Um, but that's something that I, I've kind of tried to do throughout my career and my life so far is just learn from people around me. And I think there's something to be learned from everyone in your life, you know, no matter whether they are younger, older, um, you know, do your sport, do a different sport, excelling in something else or doing, you're not doing well in something else. You can learn from other people's mistakes as well. So I've always just tried to learn from people around me and, um, yeah, so I just I'd tell Brit to young Brit to keep doing that, um, keep coming back to your purpose and why you're doing it, and just remember to enjoy the journey along the way because it's going to be a bloody fun ride. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> Brit, I think that's a, a great way to uh, wrap up this interview. Been awesome talking to you. I really uh, appreciate your time. It's been awesome watching your career that whole way through. Um, yeah, you, you should be justifiably proud of everything you achieved and. Also, the legacy you're, you're passing on to young athletes in Australia, it's really cool. Thank you. Thanks very much. And uh, keep an eye on the Aussie mogul thing. I think there's some exciting things to come. No, we definitely will. All right, Britt, thank you. Talk to you again. Thanks, Sergey. Well, that wraps up another Chill Factor podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please rate, review it, and share it with friends. And we'll be back with another episode in a few weeks. Until then, get out and live and love Australian skiing. And don't forget, you can find us at chillfactor.com.